0: We're in the book of Hebrews and we're in Hebrews chapter 4. And we pick up where Claire left off last week in a sense. Where she said that the final or the next cure in the book of Hebrews for hard hearts was what? Was the Sabbath. That the Sabbath rest stops our hearts going hard. And so we're going to pick up some of the things that Claire again brought to us in February or the beginning of March in our Feasting February series when we looked at feasting on uh, the Sabbath. So I'm particularly focusing on verse 9 in Hebrews. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work just as God did from is. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Now that's exactly what Simone was leading us in, in the middle of that song, breathing out the anxiety, the frustration, the strife, and breathing in the presence, the reality of Jesus. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience, talking about the people in the wilderness. And this idea of entering God's rest is a wonderful, beautiful play on words. You know, I love parts of the Bible when it's talking about something here, but it's a nod and a wink to something there, and it's pointing to something over there. It's this great, big, mega theme of what God wants to do. We started in a place of rest. And there's this lovely uh, phrase in Genesis chapter 2 that God came walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Can you feel it? That sense of contentment, of oneness, of peace, walking hand in hand with God. Adam and Eve were walking hand in hand with each other. They were naked and they felt no shame. They were in God's presence. There was a, a rest. It wasn't a sleep. Rest is not sleep. This was a, a, a rest in the deep, fuller sense of the word to rest. That's what we were made for. No wonder we are restless. Are you with me? If that's what we are made for in this world with all its struggle and strife, no wonder in our humanness we can so easily be restless. But this verse is also looking ahead. Hebrews moves forward looking to the day when we will fully re-enter God's rest. Again, it's not sleep. When I die, please don't say I've fallen asleep because I'll be more alive than I've ever been. I will be more complete than I've ever been. I will have entered into God's rest, God's shalom, God's contentment. I'll be one with myself and I'll be one with him and I'll be one with everyone else. And Hebrews reminds us, therefore, this is not our home. We're looking to journey. On. And so there's this looking back and there's looking forward, but there is also the now. How do we live in the reality of God's rest now? We don't need to wait because Jesus' presence is with us now. We don't need to uh, 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 sit tight as if God has not broken into this world, clinging on until we get there. No, the Bible says we can experience the Sabbath rest now. And a sign that we are not living in the reality of uh, what will be is a, is our restlessness in uh, the present. So in our feasting series then, uh, Claire helped us uh, think about the Sabbath and she gave us this great question. If you had 24 hours to live your perfect day, so if you had 24 hours to restore you, to recreate you, to re-envision you, what would you do? What would you do? That was the question that as you sat around tables and so on, you were thinking about about eight or ten weeks ago. I wonder if something has changed in your world because of that conversation. I really hope so. I hope there were things that you began to tease out about what helps recreate you, re-envision you, what helps bring you alive, uh, that, that you were able to grab hold of and begin to put into practice. It was helpful, I think, because it reminds us First and foremost, in its posture, that the Sabbath rest is a gift to us. Sabbath is there to bring us life. Sabbath, one day, different from all the others, to bring us life. As Jesus said, the Sabbath wasn't made for mankind, as if we need to serve it. But the Sabbath is a gift, a gift to mankind, to men and women, for their good, for their blessing. So this is a good gift that we should delight in. My experience is that the Sabbath over the years has felt not like a good gift that we should delight in, but a restraint, something that constrains us, something that goes, oh, we've got to kind of do that again, something to be almost endured. You see, the the, the Sabbath has got sabotaged by religious people. Not just in Jesus' day, but also in our day. If you've been a Christian for a long time, your memories of the Sabbath as a child might be pretty depressing. Oh, here we go. Long days uh, are either in church... And then when you got home, you weren't allowed to watch TV or there were certain channels you weren't allowed to watch. The budgie was taken out of the cage, lest he sing or swing on the swing or whatever it was. Uh, And it was all like closed down. It was all oppressive. It was everything that you, you couldn't do. And it felt like a day to constrain us rather than the gift that it was intended to be to liberate us. And then in contrast, in a complete switchover, the Sabbath has now been completely sabotaged by our 24-7 non-stop, keep going, more, 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 don't take a break society, in which everything continues regardless with any care or thought for the impact that it's having on our lives. Can we posture ourselves back that the Sabbath is a good gift? And maybe that's just where we need to start. Jesus said, the Sabbath is a good gift. It hasn't felt like that to me. My feelings are therefore lying to me. What's the truth? The Sabbath is a good gift. How can I lean in to this gift that Jesus gives me? And if I'd said to you before we started, Jesus has got a great gift that's for your good. Do you want it? You would have said, yes. Well, here it is. It's the Sabbath. And it's a good gift from God because it helps us to say yes. It helps us to say yes to God. You see, when we lean into the Sabbath, we're essentially saying we recognize that God has created the world, that he has created us, that we are in his image, and he has created the world to work in a certain way. And when I lean into the way that I've been made and the world has been created, I'm going yes to God. Yes, he's first And I'm leaning into the way that he's made it and created it to be. And it aligns my life again with the creator. God said, six days, and then one day I'm going to have this Sabbath. You're in my image. So six days, one day we have a Sabbath. We are in the image of God. We also, therefore, align ourselves with the rhythm of the universe. Which also reminds ourselves that we're not independent beings able to do what the heck we like. We live under his authority, under his blessing, under the reality of his presence. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. The Sabbath... When Moses reminded the people about the Sabbath in the middle of the desert, he explains why in verse um, 11 of Exodus chapter 20. You don't need to turn to it. It's on the screen. Keep the Sabbath. Why? For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So you keep the Sabbath because it's built into creation. It's the way things were intended to be. And when we align ourselves with the way God created it to be, when we align ourselves with the rhythm of the universe, when we say that we're not independent, able to do what the heck we like, when we like, but we're part of something bigger than ourselves, that can only be a good thing, who's with me. That's got to be a good posture. Helps us to say yes to God, to his purpose, to his way in our But the Sabbath also helps us to say no, no to slavery. You see, when the Sabbath is talked about in the middle of Exodus, in the desert, the reason for the Sabbath is given in the way that I just said, because it's built into creation. But just before the Israelites go into the promised land in Deuteronomy, they are reminded again about keeping the Sabbath, but it's for a different reason. It's not that the other reason is no longer true. It's just that there is another reason why you need to keep the Sabbath that is suddenly more pertinent. He urges them to take the Sabbath seriously saying this. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. No to slavery. They were slaves in Egypt. In Egypt they could not rest. They needed to build and build some more and build some more and build some more. They were about to go into the promised land. And they are being reminded that the reason that you keep the Sabbath is to make sure you do not go back into slavery. You see, the slavery of Egypt was that you couldn't, you were on this relentless cycle of more work, more effort, more bricks for more cities, more bricks for even more cities, and it was a non-stop, relentless burden. As they go into the promised land, they are being reminded to keep the Sabbath because there needs to be every... Seven days, a moment where we say no to the more, 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 more. So every Sabbath, we say no, no more work. Every Sabbath, we say no more stuff. Every Sabbath, we say no more to the things that are relentless in our lives. We live in Egypt All too easily. Where we're saying to ourselves, what I need is more work. If only I get the next project completed, I'll feel better about myself. If only I get the next promotion, if only I get a job, if only I get the house cleaned, if only I get that painted, if only I get that task done, then I will be. And so we're on this relentless, more of that, more of that, more of that will give me what I want. Or more stuff. When I get those new trainers... Or that new shirt, or that dress, or that car, or that kitchen, or that house, or whatever. And we're on this, when I get more, then I will be. That was Egypt. More and more. Pharaoh going, more and more and more. Then I will be great. Then I will feel great about myself. And it could be experiences, isn't it? When I've had that next holiday. When I've gone through that next experience. When I've, whatever, whatever it is. More and more. We need, we need every seven days to put a line in the sand and go, enough is enough, I don't need more, I need Jesus, I don't need more, I need Jesus, I am content with him, no more work, no more stuff, no more proving, no more striving, I'm not going to go back to Egypt and live enslaved by those things, I'm, I'm free, I'm free, no more, no more, and so every seven days, you get invited by Jesus to get off the hamster wheel. That's the deal. That's the invitation. That's the gift. That's the good news. That's what it. That's what it's all about. You can get off the hamster wheel every seven days. And if you learn to get off the hamster wheel, you don't want to get back on it that quickly. Next time around, Are you with me? You know when you have a holiday and you go, you know, I'm going to savor this holiday and it lasts until about 10 o'clock on your first day back at work. But every time you, you kind of, you kind of break away, it takes a little bit longer for you to become enslaved again. You with me? So every time you live freer, it takes a little bit longer. And that's why people say if you learn to break free every seven days, then eventually you live differently through the whole of the week. A very famous quote by Walter Brueggemann about the way that Sabbath, keeping Sabbath, ultimately changes not just the Sabbath, but the whole of the week. Can you see how that might work? That as we learn to step off, as we learn to say no to more, we become less addicted to it. We become less affected by it when we step back into it. We're learning to live free. Sabbath is a gift. Saying no to slavery, to the slavery of more, to Pharaoh's way. Saying no to what uh, writers call this uh, lovely phrase, the hedonic treadmill that we are all on. Or at least trying to get off let's press in a little further not surprisingly sabbath rest involves head and heart you'd expect that in hebrews wouldn't you with all that we've been talking about and all that we've been thinking about there are two main hebrew words used for rest in the bible the first is shabbat from which we get the word sabbath which means stop but it also means a lot more as we'll think about in a moment so it means stop literally i'm gonna have to stop some stuff if I'm going to say no, if it's going to be no more, then the, the beat, the bass note, needs to be stop. I'm going to stop. So the Sabbath involves us saying no. It involves us stopping some things. However, if that is the only note, if that is the ultimate bass note, stopping things ends up in a miserable day. And that's where the religious people ended up. It's going no, 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 no. Great. What can we do now? Stopping. So we do need to stop though. Remember, remember head. Remember, head without heart leads to judgment, criticism, stress, and strife. Remember that quadrant we had some weeks back? That's where you end up. You just go, no. If you just go, no. But we do need to stop. We need to stop work. We might need to stop emails, stop lists, stop tasks, stop thinking about work, thinking about lists, thinking about tasks, whatever it might be. We do need to stop. And you'll go, just like I will, oh, it's busy that I can't stop because I've got a really full week ahead. They knew all about that. And that's why God says in Exodus, Sabbath even during the harvest season. This is a principle that you put into place even when, or perhaps even more so when it's busy, because ultimately your trust is not in what you can do, but your trust is in the Lord your God. So we do need to engage our head and stop some things, but by itself, that's a distortion. Sabbath also needs heart. And, and there's another word for rest in the Hebrew Bible called nuach, which is also in Genesis chapter uh, 2. And I'll put the verse up on the screen in a minute, which is which is like a quality of rest in God's presence. So it's not about stopping. But it's about stepping into the fullness of life, the fullness of God's presence. Stepping into knowing him, to being experiencing him, to being connected with him. It's a a rest in his presence. Uh, And it's there in Genesis 2.15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden. Literally rested him, settled him, uh, connected him dwelt with him uh, in uh, the, the garden. And so the, these ideas kind of work together there in Genesis chapter 2 when the Sabbath is first established. Head, there are some structures that we need to put in place, but our heart needs to be engaged with God's presence for it to work well. So we do need to stop some things, but we also need to allow our hearts to recreate, to restore, to heal. Now, heal, that's an important word. And might remind you of a time that Jesus got into trouble in the Gospels for healing on the Sabbath. Can you imagine anything so outrageous as to heal somebody on uh, the Sabbath? You might like to, uh, if you've got a Bible, just have it open at Matthew chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 12. Just to see how all this works together. There are a series of stories about Jesus getting into trouble on the Sabbath. And uh, Jesus was not a goody-goody man. He got himself into trouble on the Sabbath with religious leaders a number of times. And there are two stories in Matthew chapter 12 about Jesus getting into trouble on the Sabbath. The first is when the disciples plucked the heads of the corn and had something to eat. So Jesus got into trouble on the Sabbath for having a feast. Strikes me that feasting should be a good part of a Sabbath. If that's what Jesus was willing to get into trouble for. Jesus was fighting for something. What was he fighting for? He was fighting for the for, for the fact that the Sabbath is a gift. And that moment with the disciples of being restored and nourished is an important one. And then there was a second story. In the synagogue, there was a man with a shriveled up hand. And Jesus, speaking to the uh, religious leaders, healed the man's hand. Why? Because the Sabbath is a day of healing. So you've got feasting and healing. But notice, notice the verses that come immediately before those two stories. Notice the context, the framework, the atmosphere in which those stories are placed. This is the verse that comes immediately before it in Matthew chapter uh, 11, um, uh, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the Sabbath life. You with me? That's the Sabbath invitation. That's what Jesus is fighting for in the next few stories. And uh, uh, you get this wonderful, wonderful uh, kind of insight into the way that Jesus is inviting us in. Uh, the message puts these verses really nicely. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away. Notice the centrality of Jesus' presence for the Sabbath. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Who'd like a bit of that? Who'd like a bit of that? That's the Sabbath invitation. And so we have all these different stories then around head and heart. The Sabbath, a gift from Jesus. And it seems that God's people had just lost the plot. They'd reduced, as human beings so often do, reduced it down to some set of rules, that somehow the rules will give life and they won't. If you stop stuff and do nothing else, that won't, in the end, give you the life to which God is calling you to. And so here Jesus redefines the meaning of Sabbath, both the Shabbat, the stopping, which also means to celebrate and delight, by the way, and the Nuak, which is a, a, a sense of connectedness that comes from God's presence. And he's bringing these two together. And so being present with Jesus on the Sabbath led to a feast in the countryside and the healing of a man in a synagogue. What a great day. It's a different kind of Sabbath, isn't it? As they became alive in Jesus' presence. And there's another word, not in the Bible, but Benuha that Jews have used over the years to try and capture this sense of a day that you recreate in order for the life-giving presence of Jesus to touch you and to change you. They wouldn't talk about it in terms of Jesus, but in terms of the life-giving presence of God to touch you and change you. It's something that we need to create. It's something that we need to establish God's presence afresh in our lives where we get joy and delight and connectedness. So some head things to stop, for sure. Stopping from work, but also other work. One of the things about the Sabbath is it's easy to stop it from one kind of work, perhaps your paid work, and to take up another kind of work, like all the jobs you haven't done around the house. Stop from the work. Let, let, let the responsibilities go for a day because ultimately, who's in control? God's in control. Let Live the day. Live one day as if all the work is done and you have no responsibilities because ultimately all the work is God's anyway and in the end, it's his responsibility, not yours. Isn't that liberating? To live with that posture? So one of the things that, that we've done for our Sabbath, so we Sabbath on a Friday because obviously Sunday's a busy day, funnily enough. And uh, in case you're wondering, this does feel like work, although I love it. Uh, so so we Sabbath on a Friday. And the easiest thing about the easiest thing is to slip into a Friday and then there's still to be lots of things not quite complete around the house and you want to get the house tidy and cleared up just so that we can be at peace. And he spent half the day doing so. So one of the things that became really important to us was to make sure before we hit the Friday that those things were ready. That, that the house was ready, if you like. That the house was at peace. Other things were at peace so that we could be at uh, peace. And then another iteration for us, as we as we tried to uh, carry and I, as we tried to journey into this, was often on a Thursday night, because Thursday night sort of was like our Friday night, beginning for our weekend, we would both work late on a Friday night, trying to get things done. And so we'd arrive late to bed, wake up pretty uh, exhausted the next day at the back end of the week. Uh, And so we've tried really hard to dial it back. So now on a Thursday night, we go dancing, which separates the kind of end of the week, moves us into a different space, reconnects us and gets us ready for the day that's uh, ahead. And if your heart is going to be engaged, if your heart is going to be reconnected and come alive, you will need to slow the pace down. Your heart will not come back to life while the rush is still on. So there are some head things, things to plan, things to think about, but there are also some heart things. What, what restores you? With God. It could be uh, uh, any number of things. We're all different. It could be worship. It could be walking. It could be sitting still. It could be meditating on something. Or or a mixture of all of those. So heart thing. What restores you in God's presence? And what restores you to yourself? Those of you that do uh, Lexio 365 every day talk about um, we recenter our scattered senses on the presence of God. That's a mini Sabbath every day. What do you do to to, to reorder your or or to recenter your scattered senses on the presence of God? To reset. It could be to read. It could be to walk. It could be to share a meal. It could be to watch a film. It could be to enjoy creation. It could be to do a a hobby that just disconnects you a little bit and and helps free your head and your heart. It's a day that gives you life. What is that that gives you life? And it restores your connectedness to others too. So friends and family, who you meet and who you connect with. So Friday for us will be a slower morning. It will be a long walk. It will be sharing a meal. It will be lots of conversation, being present with each other, head and heart. Finally, it says right at the beginning of the Bible that the Sabbath day is a blessed day. Three three things are blessed in the creation story. The uh, living creatures, that's good news for the animals, isn't it? They're blessed. Human beings, it's good news for human beings, we're blessed. Uh, And then what might we have expected the third blessing to be? We talk about places being blessed, or things being blessed, or this is time. There is a time that's blessed. And blessing is not a static, passive thing. Blessing is an active thing because the, the blessing of God, the barrack of God, is, is a life-giving, a life force, a flourishing. He blessed them to be fruitful. He blessed them to procreate. He blessed them to create life. So this blessing is a release of God's Spirit for us to recreate life one day out of seven. A day to bring more life. That's the whole point of the Sabbath. A day to bring you more life and ultimately more life is found in the presence and connectedness of Jesus. So what would bring your day? And it might not be a Sunday. It might be a different day. It might work all, all kinds of different ways in our, in our lives and, and situations. What would bring more life? to your Sabbath. Now, most of the time, God changes us by evolution, not revolution. I know that evolution is ironic to say that God changes by evolution, given all the arguments and stuff that's been over history. But we slowly move step by step to be more like Jesus, don't we? One degree of glory into another. So I'm not suggesting that this week you throw everything up in the air and attempt a completely different day because after five minutes you'll feel frustrated and it won't deliver on your expectations. But what I am asking you to do is what little incremental change could you make to your Sabbath to enable it to be more life-giving? So three questions around that. What could you stop well, what do you need to say? Do you know what? Actually, I'm not going to do that on that day anymore because it drains me. It leaves me feeling anxious. It gets me agitated. Uh, it's, it's That's that's not bringing me life. Whatever else. And and some things, you just go, well, I'm not going to do it that day. I'm going to trust God. Or you make another plan for it. What well, What are you going to stop? What are you going to stop? What could you start? Do you know what? On that day, I absolutely will go for that walk. I absolutely will do that exercise. I absolutely will make some time to read. I absolutely will sit in God's presence with some worship music. I absolutely will linger a little longer with my Bible. I absolutely will reach out to a friend. I absolutely will make sure I have a meal that's slower than all the other meals in the week. I absolutely will dot, dot, dot. What could you start? That would make the day more life-giving. And perhaps one of the biggest clues as to where you need to lean into is this question. What brings you most alive? Do you know what the world needs? The world needs you more alive. More alive. That's what, that's what we all need. What brings you most alive? How could you begin to do more of that on your Sabbath? Because it's a gift from Jesus a gift from Jesus, to bring us back, to call us back, to reconnect us, to restore us, to heal us, to put us back in the, in the center of, or, or our awareness of being in the center of who he is and, and, and who we are. It's the moment to remember who we are and whose we are, and to live more fully out of that place. Two minutes of silence. Two minutes might seem like an age in this world of rush. Two proper minutes of silence. What could you start? What could you, sorry, what could you stop? What could you start? What brings you most alive? Two minutes. Starting now. You haven't thought about it. What what brings you most alive? Think about a time. Let the Holy Spirit take you to a time when you felt most alive. What was significant about that? What's the Spirit of God saying to you about that? So, the two most important questions what is God saying? And what are you going to do about it? As the band comes, let me just read um, the words of this next uh, song Be still and know. Let's receive these words uh, that Simone will sing over us in a moment. Be still and know that the Lord is in control. Don't be afraid. Be still, uh, my soul. Stand and watch as the giants fall. I won't be afraid. You are here. You silence all my fear. I won't be afraid. You don't let go. Be still, my heart, and know. One of the reasons that we're most afraid to stop is that we fear what's inside, what will surface. Don't be afraid. Be still and trust what the Lord has said is done. Find rest, don't strive. Watch as faith and grace align. Surely love and mercy, peace and kindness will follow me, will follow me. Our Lord's my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down by green pastures. He leads me beside still waters he restores my soul he leads me in the right path and even if i go through the darkest of experiences darkest of valleys i'll fear no evil for he is with me A rod and staff they comfort me surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and i'll dwell in the house the presence the rest of the lord forever there are a, f- a few things that the prophecy team uh, were sharing at the the beginning uh, without without knowing what I was talking about. One, one was about the cup running over in Psalm 23. God longs for our cup to run over. But there was another picture that seems really pertinent to share. There's a picture of a clock and you know there's ornamental clocks where they've got like a glass dome over the top of it uh, to protect the clock. Now, if the clock was to fall on the floor and, and the glass was to break, that would be another story. But the the purpose of that glass is to stop just the dust settling. And at first, when the dust settles, you hardly notice that it's there. You've taken a slight change, uh, and you don't really notice. But then, slowly over time, dust settles, weeks become months, maybe become years, and the clock eventually stops working. Not because it had a great calamity and fell over and smashed, just because the that the rush, the grime, the grit of life settled day by day, and was never, never dealt with. And, and I just sense that maybe for some of us, it's a call back to something that we knew, that we've lost sight of. We used to do that, but but suddenly in the rush of life, we've stopped doing it, and God's calling us back to something that we used to do, but we stopped, and we barely noticed that we stopped. We'd only stopped for a day, thought we'll do it tomorrow. But then tomorrow came and we, we thought we'll do it the next day. And, and a week or so's time we forgot and a month and we all know how it is. So where's the Lord speaking to you about something that you used to do that he's calling, he's calling you back to? Because that's what you need day by day to release the grit and the grime. That's what you need to stay healthy. That's what you need to stay tuned with him. That's what you need to stay connected. you never meant to stop. What do you need to keep lifting the dust, the grime off your life? And as you know what that is, would you do two things? Would you say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I let it go. Barely noticed, I let it go. And I'm coming back. I'm recommitting to doing that thing that I let go of. So for all of us, that are turning around this morning. Thank you for your forgiveness and your cleansing. And we receive your spirit's power to start afresh. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. We start again. We're called into a new hope, a new beginning, to live in a new way.